2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were staying. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mock, saying, they are filled with new wine. This is God's word. You be seated. Thanks, buddy. I just want to keep my little man up here, guys, because uh, this morning he said, Hey, Daddy, can I wear a vest like you? And so I want to show my little man his little vest. He's like, oh, he's so shy. Okay, you go ahead. I want to show you off a little bit. Love you, sweetheart. Uh, all right, hey, let's, let's pray together. All right, guys, um, hey, before we pray, I just want to encourage us. We're in Acts, uh, doing the book of the Bible, a uh, book of Acts, and the book of Acts, uh, particularly in chapter 2, uh, is, is usually, uh, there's so many reasons and so many ways that uh, Acts chapter 2 has been interpreted uh, throughout the, the centuries. Uh, very, uh, uh, it's a huge door hinge, actually, uh, uh, when you look at New Testament theology, okay? Uh, and, and I must say, uh, there's a lot of, uh, sad to say, uh, really bad interpretations um, that have hindered the church. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're going to be dealing with a very intense passage. Uh, I just want to encourage us as the saints to um, be ready to dig in um, if you need Bibles. Uh, but before we pray, I want you to raise your hand so we can get, get you equipped with some Bibles. I uh, want to continue to train us. If you don't have a Bible, you are always welcome to use Bibles here for sure. If you want us to uh, talk about getting, making sure you have the Word in your own home, come talk to us. That's why we're here. That's why we do this thing. Uh, but if you do have a Bible, bring it. We want to make sure that we're getting conversant in the Scriptures, making sure that we're opening up the Scriptures, reading through the Scriptures. Uh, we'll have it on the board, but we also want you to get used to um, being in the text. All right, guys? So let's make sure that we come here uh, with a pen, pencil, some paper. We can use our program and your scriptures. All right, guys? So we can dive in. All right? Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump right in. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for, man, your beautiful grace. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for, for not leaving myself and, and these people I'm left to wander without a Savior, without a rescuer without a God. Thank you for not letting us go on our own um, evil way, being our own God, settling for those fake things of life, uh, eating the dust of the earth, and eventually dying apart from you. Thank you for the gospel. And Lord, we pray if there's someone in here right now who we've, we've been tricked or fooled by Satan or in our own flesh, we've We've uh, denounced you as king. Lord, would you give them the grace to see that life only matters when you are at the kingship, when you are at the throne. Lord, would you teach us today from Acts 2. Would you encourage the people of God, encourage us to be who you've called us to be, Jesus. Empower us, Jesus. Work in us, Lord. And allow it to be all for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. We always like to start by saying, hey, if you got questions, make sure you uh, feel free to ask those questions. We are um, so excited about that. We want to um, encourage us to not just be smarter. We don't just um, do information for information's sake. 
Uh, that's useless. The scriptures tell us everything we do, we do for the glory of God. So if, if we're just here to get smarter, that's, that's not our deal. We're here to be equipped um, for God, by God's grace. So, uh, so if, you, if you feel like you can encourage the body of Christ to ask you a question, please do so. Uh, if you feel like, man, you just got something specific that you want to share, you can come up and see me afterwards. We'd love to uh, chop it up and, and uh, get to the meaning of whatever um, is the issue. And if we don't have the answer or we're still on journey ourselves because we're allowed to be on journey. And um, it, we will get back to you and do some research and, um, and see what the Lord does. Okay, guys? All righty. Um, let me ask uh, a couple questions real quick for our body. We are family here. If you're visitors, that's how we roll. And let's ask a couple questions real quick. Get some answers from the body. Um, how, how do you think in our context, how does culture get in the way of the gospel in our community? How does culture get in the way of the gospel in our community? So culture gets in the way. Jonathan's saying culture gets in the way because people they see what we do and think we're kind of weird. And so because culture hasn't put a stamp on us as like cool or in, the, or, you know, or in vogue, then that gets in the way. It gets in the way of people hearing the gospel. Absolutely true, for sure. And I want to bring it a little closer home. How does culture in our context, in a 4214, we have a, a specific context here, right, that we need to talk through. How does, it, how does our culture... And what we're doing in this local body, this culture, how, talk to me, how does it get in the way of the gospel in our community? Oh, who we got? Oh, yeah, Robin. Sorry. Because we feel that, and I think a lot of our neighbors feel that if they're doing things that they feel they shouldn't be or know that they shouldn't be, they consider that, well, I'm not worthy of listening to the gospel or knowing what the gospel is or listening to you tell me about it because I have this sin in my life or I have this going on and I don't know if I'm ready to let go of it, so I don't think I'm ready to listen to you. Okay, so sin in general gets in the way of us hearing the gospel, what you're saying, and, and people don't want to, they feel like they won't be heard if they have, because they have the sin in their life kind of deal? Yeah, okay. they, they don't feel like they're worthy of they're worthy. hearing it okay. or, or learning it because they're like, well, I have this sin, so mm-hmm. I must not be worthy of knowing what God's real word is. Okay, so it's because of my life, man. I, and, I, and I think that, that does pitch a whole lot of us, right? We have sin in our life, and so because of that, we think, no, I got to come to Jesus. I got to come to Yahweh. I got to have to come to the Trinity already tight, you know? So I got to, let me fix myself first and then I'll come. And right. And that's, that's not the gospel at all, right? That's the gospel. Um, in fact, let me, let me, let me pause right here just to give us a little picture of when we talk culture, we're talking, right? Set of rules and way that a group of people move and have their being. Okay. Right. Set of rules and ways, uh, right. Within, within, within a, a particular, uh, uh, group of people and surroundings where people sort of have rules and ways of in which of how they do life. All right. Which, and so first we need to affirm, well, we have a way of doing life here, right. That's different than cats in uh, Beverly Hills. Right. On gross point even. So what, so what's up? Uh, we had a couple hands. We got Amber and we just go to uh, Rach. Okay. Yeah. I think, um, in the 48214, I think there's a history in Detroit. There's a history of, you know, racial segregation, so I think preaching the gospel here is, um, you know, overcoming the racial barriers, the black, white. Um, also, you got the hood paranoia that creeps in a lot. Like, okay, you're loving me. What do you really want from me? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, are you just trying to get my money? What, what, what do you want from me? Like, I think that concept of like being freely given something, whether it's salvation or you know, a good deed or something like being on a receiving end of that. It's just like, you know, I think in the hood, it's kind of like, you know, what you really want from me kind of thing. That's a good word. Okay. So the paranoia, I mean, especially, you know, we are interracial group here. So you have white and black folks, you have Asians, you have, you know, right. You have Hispanics, right. We have, so we're multicultural group. 
And that's kind of weird in the area. If you're talking about, if you're, what you're saying is true, that it's hard to get used to that and understand how to navigate that. Right? I remember I was going, I used to share the gospel with a friend, Mark Nischik, and we, would go, we went to a new house, um, Filipino-American, uh, what is he? He's like Ukrainian, Filipino brother. We went up, and the dude thought we were bill collectors, so he didn't want to answer the door. You know what I'm saying? He's like, who's this brother doing here, right? So, so yeah, so there's a paranoia deal, right? That's what he said to me. I thought y'all were you, you trying to collect some bills. Yeah. R.H. I've seen like a culture um, of of people seeing church as as a place that you go to that's on Sunday and mm. very separate from your daily life. And so, um, I mean, going against that is kind of fighting the. That's a good word. All right. So another one. That's right. And now, and here's what we need to be doing. We need to be doing our homework now. So we, we, we're, we're having a pro, we're, we're talking because we're trying to we're, we're trying to equip ourselves in this local body. Sunday we, we're equipping ourselves so that we are more equipped to be on mission, right? So let's be thinking about these things. That's a good word, right? So there's a framework of, of we are as we're ministering and being a light of Christ in our community. There's a framework of how church is seen that is not biblical necessarily, okay? And I thought Rachel hit it right on the head. So let's process that and store that. What do you do with that, family, as your neighbor? We'll get one or two more, and then we're going to get in the word a little bit. Okay, I got one. Um, kind of like to piggyback a little off. It's kind of like a, it's like it's a black church history that you go. It's a lot of old black churches here, a lot of old older folks here, and um, they had never had really understood the gospel. It's more of prosperity preaching, or you don't see nobody pretty much giving back to the community. It's like people who live far, they come here. So church is just a, a social event. So then it's also racial, racial factors also, but it's mainly just black church, not really interpreting the word correctly, that kind of thing. It's more of a showmanship that people look for on Sundays. Right, right, okay. So, so we have some of that, okay? We, we have, there's a, there's a culture within how you do church. Okay, hey, just pause right there, actually. Let me ask another question, because I just want to get our minds thinking, because this is what's going, see, here's what's going on in the New Testament. We're here now, but this is what's going on in the New Testament. They got to ask themselves these questions because something's about to happen crazy. How, how do you lift up your culture more than other cultures as a white person, white people in the room? How do you lift up your culture more? How do you, I mean, how do you say, man, my culture's here? How do you become a cultural elitist as a white person? Let's start with the white folks. And then let's ask the same question, right, to our other ethnic people in here, black folks, Asians. How do you lift up your culture more than others? Um, and think in terms of how does it hinder the gospel? I, I think with, um, with our culture, it's easier to give charity rather than receive charity ourselves. All right, um, hear that? Okay. And, and, and okay, now, and take that, take that. No, 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 keep the mic, homie. Now, <laughs> take that, because, no, I think that's huge what he said, but I need you to complete it. Well, how does that, why is that elitist? Tell me, tell me what does that mean, though? Okay, so you, you, you like to give versus receive. Put a, put a period on that for me. I, I think it definitely, like, separates us, like, saying that, like, we have something to offer, but you don't have something to offer us. Thank you. Okay. Okay, we we hearing this? Okay. I think that's fair. Is that fair? Okay. Yeah, stay with the white folks. (laughs) (laughs) Stay with the white. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, that's my boy. I think, I think for me, I can speak to this just from a personal standpoint. I think there's certain expectations or norms that I consider to be just, just true universally um, mm-hmm. that aren't, whether that's the way I spend my time or the way I spend my money. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that that can impact my ability to spread the gospel and others to receive it is um, having, having those assumptions and norms and allowing them to negatively impact potential relationships and friendships with other people just because they live life differently. Um, and mm. I just assume that my culture is the norm when, in fact, it is my culture. Um, and that can impact relationships pretty negatively. Mm. Now, y'all, y'all, we're wrestling with this? I love what you said there. Like, you can have things in your life that you do, but because you've been in a certain, you've been in a certain arena swimming, you almost think that is just culture. You don't think your culture is distinct. 
But you think it's normal. And it's something outside of that is weird. That's cultural elitism. Right? All right, black folks. How do you lift your culture up? How do we lift our culture up more as a black person? <laughs> our elder, like, I know. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Alvin. <laughs> I think in a black culture, we're still fighting. In this country, I think we're still fighting for our dignity. Um, you know, this goes back to slavery, segregation, all the way up to now where. So with us fighting for our dig- dignity and wanting to um, be equal mm-hmm. to the white culture, there's this ideology of moving the black race forward. And so I think even in a black church is not, there's a, a element of not being, being about expanding kingdom, but expanding black influence, expanding and pushing our people forward so that we can, um, um, be prosperous, you know, as an ethnic group, as opposed to moving the kingdom forward. Mm. So because we're wanting, right? I mean, that's a good word, right? Because there is, there is some disparity, we find, ourselves, we, we find ourselves getting mixed up in the agenda almost sometimes. And because there's a need, there's a definite need systemically that our culture still has mad drama about how, they handle, how we handle race, we want to speak to that prophetically, but then we find ourselves grabbing hold into our culture a little deeper than we should. And so it's a great tension Within, within being a black person of how do you make sure you're exalting Christ, not exalting your culture, but also not getting it twisted that you don't see that there's great injustices in your culture. You see that? I know this is pretty much like Alvin said. It's just that um, the way that I would lift up a culture is to put pride back in us and know that we are just the same as everyone else other than you know, that we are beneath someone or something like that. We, we are all the same. And, you know, that was, to me, was taken from us. And that's what we need to put back into our lives to, so we can stand with our head up and walk around like, hey, okay. And I just feel that if we put that back inside of us as a culture, then we can go somewhere because there's that belief. You got something to believe in, something that, you know, you're worth something. And you can you can look at somebody and still keep your head up other than, oh, wow. You look at them and say, okay, they think they're better than me, but you need to keep your head up and just make sure that you are the same as them. And that's what I think Jesus was putting around to us. Like we are the same. So, again, that fight. That's cool. That's, that's enough, Lee. So, again, that fight for cultural dignity, right, and, and, the, and the real issue is, I would say, is what the hindrance is, is in desiring dignity as a people, we try to find it in other things than the gospel. All right? And so how do we... So here's the things that we as a body... Here, See, this is where we live, y'all. This is, how, this is what we need to be processing. This is what we need to be thinking through as we're continually trying to figure out what does it mean for us to be ecclesia? What does it mean for us to be the local church in our context? What does it mean for us to really celebrate our community, to celebrate the unity and diversity? Keep that in your mind as we look at this text, okay, guys? Keep it in mind as we look at this text. We're going to go back to it, but I want you to be wrestling with that. We're going to be talking a lot about that as we continue on in Acts. Hope that discussion gets, got you primed up for what we're about to get into. Open your, open your word. Let's jump right in. Y'all ready to rock? Again, want to just remind you guys, uh, I left it open like that for a reason. A lot of questions, a lot of comments. I know a lot of stuff stirring right now. It's really good. Let's see, what, let's see what's happening in the first century. Let's see what's happening with these people and what they have to deal with. Um, Dorhan's chapter, chapter 2. This is recording the occasion, guys, of the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit, which we'll talk about in a minute. Again, all kind of groups have all kind of interpretations. I want to propose to you that I'm not trying to dog other groups. I am not, we're, that's not our deal. But what I want to do as your pastor is be faithful to what it seems the Scriptures are teaching and teach that unapologetically. All right? And so, so we're going to be living in that tension. So I want you to um, hopefully be receiving God's word and giving grace at appropriate moments. Um, We see in chapter 1, the disciples are waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, he comes. That's where we're at. 
Look what the scriptures say in verse one, guys. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. All right. Now, the question you might want to ask yourself is, why did Jesus, I think this is beautiful what Jesus did. This is awesome. Why did Jesus choose Pentecost as the day when he would pour out uh, the spirit on, his, on the disciples? You ever think about that? Very interesting about why he chose that day. When you think about it, Pentecost uh, was, was basically, uh, uh, basically Israel's reminder of its birthday of being a nation, right? Because historically, uh, Pentecost meant 50, right? It was 50 days basically after the Passover, uh, historically. And also it was uh, the sense of this is, when, this is when basically Moses received the Torah, okay? This is when Moses received the law uh, from Yahweh, for the people of God to institute them that, hey, you are my people, okay? So it's very, very strategic that, 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 that the Lord, that the Trinity would, would choose this day, right? Because as it were, I always tell you, when you think about your Old Testament, New Testament, you think in theology, when you think you're understanding about God, you're not going to find new things. You're going to find completions and add-ons, but you're usually rarely going to find new things. This is typological, just as he was birthing the, the Israelites as his people, what he's doing now is he's rebirthing the new people of God. You follow me? And so it's Pentecost for a reason because he is reinstituting, as it were, the law of the Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit. And so he's very intentional here. And this is, a, this is a, an amazing feast, right? You had, uh, there's probably... Um, uh, three feasts that actually called for uh, Israel. Uh, I'm just setting the picture for you guys so we can dive in here. There was like three feasts that actually called for, for Israel's people from all over the world. Because remember, there was a, there's been great uh, dis, uh, dispersions throughout history, right? Because they would get, they would get conquered and you would have, you know, uh, Israel, certain Jews going to um, uh, Assyria because Assyria would conquer them and bring them to Assyria. And then you would have some Israelites in Babylon because they would get conquered and they would be drawn over to Babylon. You think of all the places, that's what you do, right? You conquer a land, you occupy the land, but you also take some as servants and as such to bring them to your land. So when you think about all the times, the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks, all those individuals had Jewish people because they had been dispersed because they had been beat up many times over. Okay, and so this is one. Of, this is one of three times where all those people get the freedom to actually come together and worship their God. So this is a picture of what's going on here. So they're all basically piling down the holy city, and you're talking tons of people. I mean, historians would say that you could fit about 200,000 200, people just in the temple courts alone. All right, and they were there was many, many, many more people. So they would all come and crowd uh, during this day, just waiting and celebrating. So it's on this day where, where this, this, this sudden thing happens. I want you to just picture this, okay? Very strategic. He chose this time, the new issuing of, of, of new birth, where everybody could be here from different, pe- from different lands, speaking different languages, to come out. And then it says in the scriptures... They were in one place, which I proposed, uh, I don't think it was a temple, but I, I, I wonder if it was maybe the, the, the place where they were hanging out when they were asked to wait. Uh, could have been another person's house. I don't think it's a temple, though, because usually uh, you don't talk about the temple when you're looking at scriptures, and uh, other than Jesus saying, my father's house, you don't see it talk in such a flippant way. So I don't think he, they were in a temple at this time. And it says in verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Let me just make a few observations about this text that hopefully can just help us get a picture. Uh, first and foremost, I want us to understand it was not a wind, right? It was not blowing. That's not what the scriptures say. It says it was a sound. Okay? So it was, it was a, you, there was a sound of a wind, which I think is even more freaky, right? It's like when it sounds like a wind, but you don't see nothing moving. That would scare me more. Like, no curtains moving. You know, what's going on? All right. Also, I want us to also notice, um, this is very important because, again, the Holy Spirit and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit has been so, um, it's been used inappropriately in history. We have to understand this. He uses, the Holy Spirit uses here external manifestations, but he is not 
those things. Let me say that again. He uses external manifestations, but he's not those things. So you can't go around saying the Holy Spirit looks like dot, dot, dot. Because the Holy Spirit will come in this way, like a fire. He can come in this way, like a wind. He can choose the way he desires to manifest himself. So we have to be very careful saying this is what he does, and this is when we know it's him. Which is what we do in, in, in a lot of our, some of our, our charismatic circles. Notice also God's sovereignty in this text. It says, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Notice that um, they could not bring him, right? They could not muster up enough stuff to make him come. It's not anything that they did to say, oh, man, you did that. I got to come and bless you. It's a gift. Notice God's sovereignty there. God sends a gift because he wants to. Because he's good. It's all God. My point, you cannot manipulate the spirit of God. It's bad, bad theology. He continues on. Those are just observations. As he, continue, as he continues on in the scriptures, though, it says, And it filled the house where they were sitting, verse 3, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. In verse 4 it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began uh, to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, let me... Um, I love our body. So, we, uh, so in our MAC group, you know, we, got, we have some... We, you know, we just be diving in, talking about the Spirit, and we got these crazy meddlers, you know, who are... I'm just joking. They're awesome. But it asked good questions in our mad group. And it had me wanting to process more and think about things more as far as the Holy Spirit. I thought uh, Matthew and Amber had really good questions. And so uh, I began to say, you know, maybe we need to answer the question because I brought up, hey, what's the difference between the Holy Spirit at Pentecost versus uh, before Pentecost? And I think, I think our natural reaction is to say, so what? What does it really matter, Eric? I mean, the reality is we have the Holy Spirit now. The same, same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us, right? We, we get to enjoy all the benefits that the first century Jew had. We're not second-tier second Christians because we're not first century Jews. So why, why are you bringing this up? Why is this important, right? And I, what I want to do is I, I want to first uh, process a little bit my journey with understanding the spirit and, and try to prove to you that it's very important not to just know more about this, but to really see uh, the relevance of seeing how it was different, what the Holy Spirit did before Pentecost versus now. Now, first and foremost, again, I made that, I made that proclamation last time that the Holy Spirit, this is very, that the Holy Spirit basically uh, did the work uh, that he's doing now today, even in the Old Testament. So I want us to see that first, and I want to make my case why, why this is important. All right, and we see this with uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel. They all talk about this reality, but they also all talk about that this new coming is going to be glorious, okay? So we can't, so I think it's, it's bad for me to make it sound like, hey, there's nothing different from then to now. It's absolutely different. It is awesome. But I want us to see what, what the awesomeness is and what the difference is. I don't think that the scriptures are saying that the difference is that people were able to live regenerate lives in Christ without the Holy Spirit before the Holy Spirit came. I'm not comfortable with that. It doesn't seem to be scriptural. So what's going on, Eric? What's the deal? Let me tell you, first and foremost, that in the Old Testament, you see individuals who, who model that God is the spirit as creator and sustainer of life. You see that in the scriptures. You see new birth and indwelling of the spirit actually before the Pentecost, right? Think of John chapter 3, uh, verse 10. He's talking to Nicodemus. And, Nic and, he, and Jesus is surprised at Nicodemus because he's saying, hey, Nic Nicodemus, why are you so surprised about this? Me telling you that the, you need to be reborn in the spirit. Why are you, you know, this is something, this should be old teaching for you as a Pharisee. Turn in, in, in John chapter 3, verses 10, I believe, he, he's, Jesus is surprised. You know why Jesus is surprised? Because Jesus understood the fact that people before Pentecost, God's people, had the Spirit. That's why he's surprised. So Jesus was surprised that he didn't get new birth. 
Uh, we see Newberg talking about individuals having the Holy Spirit in, in numbers and talking about Caleb having the Holy Spirit and Joshua. We see the constant presence of the Spirit always made manifested in Psalms. We see the gifts. We see the gift of prophecy. We see counsel. We see counseling and teaching. We see victory over fear. We see extraordinary power in the Old Testament. Interpretation of dreams. So what's happening here? The reason why it's so important for us to see that the Holy Spirit was given then, but it's very different now and it's more glorious now, is because what God is trying to show us um, is, is I liken it. I was like, man, how can I come up with some kind of analogy? It's almost like if, if we look at Detroit, okay, as a whole, we have this whole city of Detroit, and, and there's, there's three streets on Detroit. You know, there's, there's Holcomb, you know, and maybe in their crane, all right, we'll say two streets, and all the lights are on, the power's on. But everywhere in Detroit else is dark. The question is, is the Holy Spirit, is, is the power any less on those streets? The, the streets are fully powered, okay? But the reality is, is that there's darkness all over Detroit. And I want to propose that's the point of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. It was not that God was not unleashing his Holy Spirit or giving his Holy Spirit. I want to propose that he was giving his Holy Spirit in a sense of like trinkles, right? He was giving it to a little group of people, right, within a world of people who didn't know their Savior. And what God is saying is that on the day of Pentecost, I'm not going to just allow that one or two little streets to be lit. I'm not going to just allow this people to this one group of people to have access, these little people and all the whole world not know me and be in darkness. But I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, Joel says. That now everybody gets to have. So now all of Detroit will have the opportunity to be lit. That his point is not about like holding back his point is that we're going to almost like the dam is going to be open and the power of God is going to explode, has the opportunity to, to just fill and explode. And that's what happens at Pentecost is that God says, now I'm unleashing. And so now, even though there was just as much power in the Jews of old, he said, but now look, when all these people are filled with me, when all these people are walking with me, when all these people are desiring to make worship, or when all these people are baptized and yielding and filled with the Spirit. That God would be maximizing his glory. So that, that's what I mean when I'm, when I'm saying that the scriptures are teaching that Pentecost is absolutely important. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, that should make you more excited. That should get you excited, knowing that, oh my goodness, well, God was doing little things here and there, right, almost as like, hey, uh, a type and now he's saying the full and all of that, you're going to get all of that. Boom. The whole world has an opportunity to experience that. Now I'll spend time trying to prove that to you. So when you look at this verse here, I want to say first notice something. What's going on here? In verse 4, the tongues were separated but per, per each individual. Okay? And we'll talk more about, about the tongues piece in a moment. But the tongues are separated per individual. We need to get into this tongue stuff real quick. Here's what was going on. Explain what was happening. First, the wrong thinking is tongues is proof of filledness. Tongues is a, is a doctrine today in a lot of churches uh, where uh, some churches would even say you need to have, you need to do tongues. It's a proof of you being filled with the Spirit in order for you to actually be saved. Some would say that's when you know you have the evidence of the Holy Ghost in you, but they would say you're saved, but you're kind of second to a Christian. But when you really get, when you really, really get saved, you're going to have this speaking thing, and you're going to do these tongues. Tongues gets a lot of airplay uh, in a lot of churches in our world, and I want to propose uh, that it's really flawed. Uh, tongues is absolutely not proof of spirit-filledness. In fact, even in Acts, People are receiving the Spirit, and it shows them being filled, and it shows different manifestations. So when we look at uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 31, you can write that address down. Uh, it shows you uh, someone being filled, but there's a, different, there's a different expression. That's not what tongues is about, guys. In fact, I want to propose that that's the, the, Bible's, the Bible's posture is that actually love is a better marker of spirit-filledness than any gift. 
Okay? And so now that's weird. You know why that's weird? Because you, I propose that you, people can, can show love externally, even though God doesn't recognize it as love if it's in the flesh. But people can show, like, love, and, only, and you can't really determine if it's spirit-filled love or not. Right? But I want to propose, even with that discrepancy, even with that tension, God is saying, I'd rather you, I'd rather you love, I'd rather you show love than do a supernatural gift. Right? So, what's, so why does he bring tongues here? So why, why tongues in there? If he didn't want us to talk about it all the time and act like we're filled because we do it. And, all right, first let me, just, let me, let me be clear that uh, tongues is a supernatural gift and people think tongues is just kind of gibberish, right? It's kind of you say stuff in the power of the spirit. You don't know what you're saying. Other individuals don't know what you're saying. And somebody needs to come tell you what you're saying, Correct? So want to get us on the same page so we, so we can debunk the right things, okay? All right, so let me propose to you, here's, what's, here's what tongues is, what is what really tongues is. First, the word glossa always means language, okay? So I want to say it's absolutely not gibberish, okay? Now, the argument of tongues is that, hey, no, it's gibberish, Eric, because there's angel speech. Read 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, right? And so, so people get that, and they say there's angel speech, Okay? Have you ever heard that? All right, this is what tongues is. Absolutely not. First of all, let me practically tell you, there's nowhere in the Bible where angels speak gibberish. You don't see an angel go, Oh, thank you, Mr. Angel. That doesn't happen. Okay? There's nowhere in the scriptures. Okay? So, so you can't say there's an angel talk because unanimously, 100% of the time, in the text, angels always speak intelligible words. Okay? The point in 1 Corinthians, and you can go back there, the point in 1 Corinthians about tongues is that he says of men and of angels, that's hyperbolic speech in that passage. And what he's saying is that he says you can love and he said you can have all mysteries in that same passage. He says you can have all mysteries, know everything. Does anybody know everything? No. Who knows everything? God. His point is that, of course, you can't know everything. His point is that you can know everything. He says, you can fathom all mysteries. But if you have not love, that's hyperbolic speech. When he says tongues of men and of angels, he's not saying that there's angel speech. He's saying if there was, but if you have not love, what is it? It's hyperbolic speech. His point isn't that there's this special speech somewhere. Okay, guys? So here's what tongues is. Tongues is a human language on earth that you can supernaturally interpret. Tongues is a human language on earth that you can supernaturally interpret. Okay? From this passage here, here's what's going on. You have all these different Jewish people dispersed from all over the world coming in, and because they lived in Babylon, they speak some Babylonian, or or at least know what it sounds like. Assyrians, they know what it sounds like, right? Persia, they know what it sounds like. They all come together. These guys are sitting in their room. Here's a picture. The Holy Spirit, boom, gives them this tongue. All of a sudden, they start speaking. Now, something happened. Here's what's cool is they had to come outside because all the people couldn't fit in the room, in the house. So these guys are speaking in these, in these tongues, and they're walking, and they go outside. Now, guess what? There's a huge crowd, the scriptures say, outside. Well, why did the crowd know the crowd outside? Because of the wind in the earlier verses. They heard the wind too. It says that. We'll see in the verses here, right? It says they heard and they said, what is that? And they all came together. When they came all together, God and his grace brought everybody together. And now he allows these guys to come out. And guess what they hear? These individuals from all these different nations hear these Jewish people speaking in their own native tongue because they could understand them. Right? That's what's going on here. Why? Why is this happening? Why is tongue so important? Here's why it's so important. Turn to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Here's why it's so important. I'm going to read a text to you. The scriptures say, don't miss this. This is, this is a huge door hinge here. Here is why tongues is so important in this passage. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Verse 2, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar 
and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and, and bitumen for mortar. It says, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city, uh, which is an awesome passage, and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will not be impossible for them. Verse 7, come let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them uh, from, from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, it is, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from, the Lord, uh, from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. See what happened there? So here's the picture. The people are, are in the fall. We're in the midst of the fall. God has blessed us. All of a sudden, people start saying, man, I like being my own God. Hey, let's build something. Let's be, let's be um, uh, competent in ourselves, right? Let's be self-dependent on ourselves. And we're going to do this. We won't re- really need God. God goes, oh, my goodness. What, what is this? The Holy Spirit, is, we're, we're, we're witnessing Self-glorification. They're trying to glorify themselves. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mix up their languages in order to thwart self-glorification. This is what God does, right? So he, so he mixes their language to thwart self-glorification. Now, guess what's happening in Acts? You see the parallel? Right? The parallel is what he's doing is he is it's a type. He's retelling the story of Babel redemptively. Do you see that? He's saying, because of the fall, I had to mix up the languages because man was glorifying themselves. So I didn't want them to understand each other. I wanted them to have to be in chaos and be jacked up. But because of recreation, because of redemption, one of the ways I'm going to show that is by, as it were, not mixing up the languages, but allowing them to have unity and understanding of languages. So they all know that they're one person so they can serve the one God. You see? The reason why he did tongues was not so you and I can go around speaking gibberish. The reason why God did tongues was to unify the saints. Was to bring us as one and say, oh my goodness, the same God gave you the same thing I have, so I'm no better than you. Wow, so we're one. So now what does this one God want us to do? Glorify him. Okay, let's do it together as one. The Holy Spirit's goal is to allow understanding, to foster unity, and bring glory to Jesus, is this point. It's to, it's to begin to inaugurate a huge harvest field. You see that, guys? That's what he's trying to do here. So even, even as I talk about the whole sense of the trinkling effect of the Holy Spirit, being in people, blessing people before Pentecost, all of a sudden God is trying to make it clear, I'm pouring my spirit out on all flesh. Well, how can Jewish people who for thousands of years have seen God just pour the spirit out on them believe that he's going to pour the spirit out on all flesh? Is when they are doing what God does in them. And they go the same spirit that you have, I have, because you're doing what I was doing. Oh, my goodness. I can't be a bigot anymore. Now, the hard thing is the Holy Spirit, spirit-filledness. And, and here's where I think I was kind of wrong. I'm trying to figure this thing out. I was wrestling because of some good questions from a man. I was wrestling like, okay, baptism, spirit-filledness, like... It seems to me it's way more, it's kind of more interchangeable than what I let on two weeks ago. I'm growing in my theology too. But, I don't, but it seems to me, when, I, when I, went, I went through and I looked at every word of baptism in all these conjugations, and I was like, so how is baptism used? It took a while. So if you're going to do that, get some time. And, and what I realized is baptism is used in two ways. Usually we talk a lot about identification. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Kind of three ways. Well, identification. So um, when he talks about, you know, you being, uh, being baptized in Christ's death, identifying, being one with, understanding you're a part of that death. 
right? Uh, usually talk about identification, but then there's another nuance that, that is talked about in different ways. It's talked about being baptized in water. It talks about actually being baptized in the spirit, but it's always talked about in a sense of like inauguration. That's the key. That's what I saw. I saw, I was like, oh my goodness, Josh. I was like, oh, that's, that's what's going on here. It's inauguration. Is that baptism usually is talked about, and I, and I wonder why he says in Acts 1, you, you, you're going to be baptized, and then in Acts 2, he can say, you're filled. Because the filling in chapter 2 that we're reading is, him, is the fulfillment of the baptism that he proclaimed in chapter 1, right? So what's going on there? I want to propose to you that, that you can use them interchangeably, and it's hard to detect when one is happening and when the other one is happening. But I think, I propose to you, that baptism, he says that when it's inaugurated. Almost in a sense like, um, filled people are baptized with the Spirit, but you can't be filled until you're baptized. Well, how are you baptized? When you have the Spirit. Nothing has to happen. You don't get the ooby-doobies and start shaking the stuff. right? But when God says, boom, I'm going to give you this, and then, I want to say in Acts 1, that God does this. He does this every once in a while in a special way to empower us for mission. But I want to say you can use those words interchangeably. That filledness and that baptism. Because it seems like more, he says, that you're filled and then you see something happen, like extraordinary, actually, when you read, versus when you're baptized. Which, my fault. My fault, guys. I read and I saw it was convincing that he usually says the word filled. Filled with the spirit. I mean, filled with the spirit. Peter spoke, it says the scriptures, right? Right? He was empowered for service, right? And filled with the spirit. Peter said to him, silver and gold, I have none, right? So so what I'm saying there, guys, they're they're used interchangeably. I want to say baptism is more inauguration. It's more like, like God saying, hey, I'm, it's, I think it's still, everything I said, I think it's biblical. It, boom, he empowers us for supernatural Christian service. But it seems to be an inauguration and a continual is that spirit-filledness, that yieldness that we continue on. And so that's why we don't keep asking in prayer for baptism. We ask for filledness. That's why I propose to you in Ephesians 5, the Holy Spirit gives us the grace and says, hey, this is a command. Be filled with the Spirit. And you can keep asking that. You don't have to keep asking for baptism because it's inaugurated. Does that make sense, guys? All right, no, I know I'm going longer. Okay. Um, so they kind of happen at the same time. Hard to detect, guys. He goes on. And, and I, so I hope you see that beautiful picture of what God is doing with the languages. Beautiful picture of his of creation, decreation, new creation from our king. Then he says, uh, in verse 5, Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under, he- under heaven. I just talked to you about them being conquered all over the place. I mean, that's, that's all Old Testament man, the Jews getting beat down, right? They get beat down all the time. And then God's so cool, I, I just love the picture of he, 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 he'll use other lands to beat, to beat the Israelites down, and then he'll tell the land, well, now I'm going to kill y'all because y'all beat the Jews down. And they're like, but you told me. He's like, but you shouldn't have done it. I mean, that's, I mean, it's crazy. That's why he did it to the Edomites, right? He told the Edomites, you need to take care of the Jews because they've been sinning against me. They, beat, they, they took and destroyed, beat the Jews up. And then God said, now I'm going to kill all y'all. And they'll never know. They'll never be an Edomite again. Right? And my joke is always, have you ever met an Edomite? Right. So, to my point. Um, so, so that's what's happening here. The reason why all these nations are under heaven are there is because of the diaspora, right, that's happened, uh, diaspora, and he, he gathers all these people. Um, verse 6, it says, And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Right, the crowd came because of the sound. You see that in the verse 6? And at this sound they came together. Then those guys came out speaking, they're hearing their languages, they're blown away. I won't read through all the different, uh, we've already had it read, um, I'll just go uh, to verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues. Notice what he says here. I love this. So what, is, what, the, what are they telling? What it says? It says they're telling the mighty works of God. You see that? They're worshiping. 
the, 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 the words literally mean in the Greek, they're telling the greatness of God. That's what they're doing. In unison in different languages. They're all, they're all hearing the greatness of God. Let's be clear. Everybody weren't just kind of like remnant Jews. You know, these, some of these guys were trying to walk in love Yahweh. Some of these guys didn't really care. And the gospel was being preached. All right. And it says in verse 12, and all were amazed, perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Let me, let me just hit a few things. I love the fact in verse 7, he says, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? Here's why he does that. Because Galileans had no love, right? They, 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 you talk, John, it's like they did not get the cultural stamp. Right, I grew up on off of St. Clair in the inner city of Cleveland. Right, um, very rough neighborhood. Uh, this was like a crazy neighborhood. You know, we got a we have a kind of a crazy neighborhood, and it's kind of like they were kind of surprised the, the sense of these men in their mind being unlearned, being from the hood. Right, you know, shooting dies. All of a sudden, these cats are speaking the greatness of God, quoting scripture. You know, they're looking like, how are these dudes doing these things? Why do you think God did that? These unlearned, untrained men are speaking with such power and authority the greatness of our king. You see that? They're dumbfounded. They're absolutely going like, what is going on? Speaking the greatness of God. And it says they were all amazed. But look at this. Even though they're seeing a supernatural act, right? They're seeing something right now where God is saying, I'm trying to unite the body. I'm trying to let you guys understand that the spirit that we talked about in Joel is being poured out on all flesh. This is important for us, family. It says in verse 13, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. You know why that's jacked up? Go check this out. You know, the whole context of new wine is this. If, um, if you, get any of you guys like wine, you'll get this. He says... First, they're mocking, okay? And here's how he's mocking them. See, new wine was almost like, wasn't really uh, mature yet. Wasn't strong, right? He's saying, hey, these brothers drunk on grape juice. Right? That's basically what he's saying. He's like laughing at them. Right? And it just made me me sad. I thought, wow, Lord, I'm amazed. No matter what you do in life, as far as the Holy Spirit movement, there's always some people who totally ask a good question. What's going on? And their ears are open because God's grace is upon them. And there's always some who mock. There's always some who make fun, like you said. There's always some who say, I don't got time for this. This is boring. I, I want to be my own savior. In the midst of miracles, they mocked and said, you're drinking grape juice. What does the author want to leave us with, guys? Why are we reading this passage? What is God trying to say to you? What is he trying to say to our local community here? You see what's happening here? This is our context, man. Sometimes you read passages and you're like, man, I don't know if that really relates to me. And this is our context. All these different people coming together, uncommonality, coming together in unity. Because all of a sudden, Jesus decides to say, I'm pouring my spirit on all flesh, and all people are created with dignity, purpose, value, and worth. Now go be my witnesses. Now go fulfill what I told you in chapter 1. You see how it all is coming together? You see why you're here? You see why you're here? Do you see why you're here? I say there's three takeaways. First, be excited that we have the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to encourage you, build a prayer life where you are communing and you're asking the Holy Spirit to fill you. Allow that to be part of your prayer life. Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. He says he will do that. Hey, guess what? And confess your sin. Agree with God that you jacked up. Don't live in shame. Don't hide. Just confess. And repent. Ask God to work in your life. Lord, just allow, allow the things that you hate, I will hate. And the things you love, I will love. Like, just ask God to give you a language of a love relationship with your Savior that you can, can talk and commune with him and that God would do something supernatural in your heart as you continually befriending your Savior. 
Let's recapture in our local community a robust love for our Jesus. And let's recapture that because he loves us. It's not a new thing to do. It's we need to rest. Man, God loves me. He poured his spirit out upon me. He's freed you. So guess what? If you yelled at your friend or your wife, it's time to experience God's grace. If you've got bitterness right now, you're harboring something that's hindering you from experiencing your king, I want to encourage you right now, ask for the grace of the Lord to allow you not to be filled with hatred, but be filled with the spirit. Think of your journeys. What's lacking right now where you keep trying to grab something else to be satisfied? I want to encourage you. I want you to encourage me. Let's run to Jesus together. Ask God to fill you. Make that a robust part of your prayer life, guys. Be excited um, to brag about God to others. Guys, we talk about neighboring all the time. Hey, guys, I want to encourage us. Here's the thing. We, I got challenged by um, your pastor, Leon. We got challenged the staff team. He's like, you know, usually when people come here, the newest people are always evangelists. <laughs> you know, this is how it is. Uh, people come here, they get outside, and they bring people. And in, uh, many of us, including myself and your pastors, we, lull, we get lulled in just liking what we're doing, and we don't invite, you know? And... Um, we gotta re- we got to recover that, man, that there's something wrong there. When we see what God is saying, what God is trying to do in this world, we need to recover or a tenacity to be inviters. And, and, and Pastor Lee said, man, you know, we get paid, man, to do this. We should be inviting each one of us at least 10 people a week. Do we have the gospel? Do we have the good news? Has God made you alive from death? Has he taken, the scripture says, he set your feet upon a rock? Has he given you value and purpose? Our whole life should have that posture. It should be nothing for me as your lead pastor to invite 10 people to experience God's glory, to experience this covenant community, to see the gospel live, not proclaim just in word, praise the Lord, but to see it live with all of these awesome people by God's grace. I should be connecting cats to the Jareds and the Rachels, right? And the Chris's, the Jacks. Guys, let's together covenant, ask the Lord for the grace. Lord, give me a passion to want my neighbors to know you and to want to allow them to experience the covenant community, to allow them to experience my home, to allow them to experience this Sunday environment where people are going to hear the good news of grace. Can we do that? It should be nothing for us. We have about 60-something people and growing in discipleship. It should be nothing for us for us to see hundreds of people hearing the good news weekly. Are people going to dog you? Are people going to make fun of you? Are people going to stand you up? Absolutely. We know a little something about people standing us up, don't we, y'all? Do we stop, though? Absolutely not. Will you recover that with me? Will you pray with me? That God would just birth that in our hearts. And guess what? When we go two months and three months of not inviting, we don't just cash it in. We say, Lord, praise the Lord for the life in Christ. Praise that I'm saved by grace. And we say, I ain't invite nobody in four months. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Tomorrow, I'm starting inviting again. Let's not live in shame. That's why Jesus died. So that when we don't get it right, we cool. And when we get it right, it's by his grace. Finally, continue in this context with God's plan for unity, guys. See, that's the thing. In this body, we got to talk about this. We have to talk about this. In this body, we have to talk about loving across difference. We need to talk about it a lot. And we need to do it. And we need to be unashamed. All right? We need to go out with tenacity. We have the true gospel. And we need to trust the Lord that we're going to see tons of black folks in here, tons of white folks, tons of Asian, tons of... We're going to see God's people come. Do you, can you see that? Can you see this room filled with different ethnic groups, different people, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different educational pedigrees, 
and just raising their hands up and worshiping our Savior and retelling Acts chapter 2 in a different way, though. No mockers. People just go and look at God's glory. Look at what the Lord is doing. That's what we want to trust the Lord for. Recover those things with me, all right? Okay? We don't just do recovery as Christians. We do redemptive recovery. Because if we just recover, we recover to fall. But we say, Lord, make things the way you want them. Make things new. You pray with me, guys. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would allow us to be a a body that loves across difference. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us to bring glory to our King, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we pray you allow us to be inviters. Give us the grace. In Jesus' name, amen.